Chris Gowser here with Matt Owl. On this episode of The First Run, I am struggling with a bit of a headache. Here we go. On this episode of The First Run, Matt and I are going to discuss the sequel to the surprise, I'm going to go air quotes, hit, the hitman's wife. Nope. It's the hitman. See, the, the, the headache's already kicking me, Matt. The Hitman's Bodyguard was the first film with Sam Jackson and then America's Sweetheart, Ryan Reynolds. That film did reasonably well, clearing over 100 mil. So you know what we're going to do, Matt? We're going to go ahead and make a sequel and try and recapture the magic. Because I'll be honest with you. I saw the first film. We didn't do it for the show. But I did watch it. And it's enjoyable enough. Sam Jackson and Ryan Reynolds are always fun on screen. You put them together, how can you miss? Well, I guess we're about to find out with the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Then we're going to spend some time with first-run favorite Pedro Pascal in Prospect, a 2018 science fiction film that recently popped up, I don't know, a month or two ago on Netflix. And then in honor of this past Father's Day, Matt and I are going to share our five favorite worst movie dads. We'll also tell you what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, June 29th, featuring our straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. Here we go, Matt. The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. We're going to center Salma Hayek, which usually I think is a great idea. So we'll see how that turns out. This reminds me of the spa back at the hotel. Really? Not at all. Okay, let's blast this motherfucker. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, you go in there, guns blazing, they're going to get trigger happy inside, then it's bye-bye Darius. He asked for me. He needs me. So we're going to do this my way. That means no killing. No guns and no blood. Boring is always best. Understood? Of course not. Jesus Christ! That was kind of my reaction while watching this film. Matt, what is the hitman's wife's bodyguard all about? So Ryan Reynolds um, suffering, having his license revoked um, and um, suffering from the traumas of the previous film forced to hook back up with Darius Kincaid played by Samuel L. Jackson and his wife, uh, Sonia played by Salma Hayek really, you're kind of run of the mill action. Oh, and they basically have to stop a, a madman that's bent on taking over the world played by Antonio Banderas. And we're talking like prime Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery casting here with Banderas, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's a Spanish guy playing a Greek guy. <laughs> And then, of course, another welcome addition, I think, to most films is Frank Grillo. I yeah. enjoy me some Grillo. Crossbones for you MCU heads out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so he's always pretty fun, too. So, Matt, let me ask you. Does Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard kind of breathe new life into this, dare I say, series? Or is this just a kind of just run-of-the-mill, cliche, cheap cash grab? Yeah, so... Really lean in heavy on our star's... Charisma and uh, watchability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure I'm the right one to ask because I never saw the first one. Um, so I can't say if this is better than the first one. Um, I can't say if it's uh, if this is some kind of elevation of the previous material. What I can tell you is if this is an elevation of the previous material, I don't understand how much how it made as much money as it did based off of its budget. I think the entire draw here is obviously the wattage or the star power of the people who are involved. But this strikes me, you know how Ryan Reynolds went through that like period of where he just kind of put out these kind of like 
B and C tier movies. Like you always kind of liked Ryan Reynolds in them, but the overall they were not very good. This mm-hmm. kind of feels like we're getting back to that, you know? And Sam, Sam Jackson, as much as I love the man, I feel like he'll say yes to anything you, you offer. If, if you're going to pay him, he'll, he'll, he'll say yes. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. I, honestly, this is just a run of the mill cash grab action film that is a little hev- heavy on the comedy and it has its moments, but otherwise it's, generic and pretty forgettable in my opinion oh absolutely i don't think you have to qualify that by saying your yeah. opinion i think that should be universally <laughs> understood and accepted by the movie going public okay uh, I, as i said i did see the first one and it's enjoyable enough you know yeah. it's a perfectly fine throwaway action film that basically gets by on the charisma of its two leads and I would say Sam Jackson. I don't think we're in Bruce Willis ter- our territory with Sam Jackson. And he's has the unique ability to kind of churn out these kind of B-movies all the time, but not lose his kind of top billing star rating. While I think Willis is just kind of kicked it away. I mean, he's just flat given up. Yeah. I, I mean, Willis, he's had a few good roles, but... Like, like you said, I mean, Samuel Jackson, he can kind of elevate anything that he's in. And like, you never know, like, what you're going to get just because it kind of really depends on what's around him. But at the very least, Sam Jackson always seems like he's in on the joke. If he's in a bad movie, like he, he's still, he's still, he's still doing what he's doing. Yeah. I I think this is just really, uh, he's just playing his usual role, you know, (laughs) he's playing a a version of Jules again. (laughs) That's exactly right. So one of the things, too, about the first film, Matt, is that I don't think it did anything to justify a sequel. Right? Right. The only reason there's a sequel, I think, is because financially it did well. Right. And that's why we're here. So instead of expanding and improving things, what we do is we tweak a little bit here, add a little bit more there. And Viola, we have a B direct-to-video action movie. This is prime Netflix stuff. This is a straight-to-DVD action film that kind of has just some, I don't know, what do you want to say, B-plus level stars? Are they A-level stars? I don't know. Maybe A-minus. Yeah. Though that's the thing. I think uh, most everybody in this is kind of on the, I think maybe more on the tail end of their career, you know? Whereas Ryan Reynolds, he's, like I said, he's kind of slipping back down the, the pole a little bit in the stuff he's been putting out, you know? Mm-hmm. We'll have to see what happens with a third Deadpool film and yeah. how Disney ends up handling all that as well. But outside of the relatively, here's what I want to say. My notes say a fun cast. That's true individually outside of this film. I enjoy the work of almost everybody in this movie. Right. But everything, but this particular film is just, there's nothing interesting about it. It's not engaging. And it is just a cliched slog. If I had to praise anything i there's two things i enjoyed about this movie the only scene for me that really worked is the bar scene with ryan reynolds and sam jackson near the end of the film where ryan reynolds's character kind of finally gets his s together right and i think that's one of the big problems is that it tries to be clever and funny by neutering reynolds with this kind of i think poorly executed mental trauma the strife mm-hmm. that he's dealing with right? right and it really becomes just ponderous after a while, I really got tired of it. And but I, that bar scene is really good. And I admired the James Bond level craziness of the villain's plan. I mean, this came right out of like 
Pierce Brosnan 90s Bond plotline, which is, you know, over the top and crazy and ridiculous. So at least I enjoyed that. A couple other issues, some really sketchy CGI and some glaringly obvious green screen. Now, I saw this in a Dolby theater, so maybe that's part of it. I'm watching this in the Dolby Vision, but there are a bunch of times where I'm you can just tell. They're in some they're in some studio lot and it's all green screened, and it really kind of pulls you out of it. And one of the big damning things about this film too, Matt, and I wouldn't anticipate you did this, but one of the better jokes in the entire film is at the very end, at the end of the credits. So there is a scene with two characters called Gary and Johan, and they dedicate the film with a memorial image to the two of them at the very end of the film, which I, I laughed at as I walked out. But outside of that, Matt, as I said, this is just prime Netflix stuff. A complete cash grab, I think, and isn't really worth your time. Yeah, I'm actually really surprised this didn't come out as a a Netflix uh, original or a straight-to-on-demand release um, during the pandemic. This seems like like the type of film that would do that, you know? Yeah, you know what's going to happen? I I swear to you this is going to happen. We can have a sniper situation on our hands. I see years of directed DVD sequels with lesser known talents on the horizon for this franchise. Right. Really, someone should just snuff this thing out while it sleeps with a pillow. I really can't <laughs> think of. I, but that's I think is the destiny because uh, title wise, the hitman, the hitman's bodyguard. Right. It's clever and it's funny. And you're going to get, I think, maybe a, a TV show on, who knows, like Stars or something in two years. Or you're going to get these straight-to-DVD Netflix films. I don't think this is the end of this franchise, unfortunately. For this film, Matt, I'm giving The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard a D. Yeah, I think a D is right. It's just, it's not unwatchable. It's just, no. it's just unbearably repetitive. It's just repetitive and it's just stuff you've seen all before and it's forgettable. It'll be interesting. Maybe this thing will have a second life um, a la Universal Soldier where they're like these underground hits that people sleep on kind of thing. So we'll see. We really should catch up with some of those Universal Soldier films that are supposed to be pretty good that are straight to DVD. You know, I still think if we ever get a Patreon thing or, you know, the new, I think we have the ability for to have a tip jar now. I just haven't activated okay. it. Okay. But we should, I, I've been itching to do maybe another straight-to-DVD marathon or something, okay. too. Because we did one, okay. what, three years ago? Yeah, it was a while ago. And it was a disaster. <laughs> but um, <laughs> a Universal Soldier run may be kind of fun. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, shoot us an email, folks. What do you think? First, what are your thoughts on the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard? And then, should we do like a straight-to-DVD or Universal Soldier run type thing? Would you... Would you Shell out a few shekels uh, for us to do something like that. We'd love to hear from you. Feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, June 29th, there's a big, big release coming that has been out of print for a very, very long time. And then another one quickly followed. But that's not what I'm using for the clip, Matt. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. We're going with a classic release coming out in 4K, just for you. Hang on, where are we going? I don't know, but I don't like to look at that tunnel up there. Hey, Wonka, I want off! Round the world and home again. That's the sailor's way. I don't mind the try, Daddy. Wonka, ask me a favor. Tell those creatures to stop paddling from the... We're going too fast. Fast? We're going to sink. I know. We're going to be stuck in the boat. Faster. 
course is Willy Wonka and the uh, Chocolate Factory getting a 4K release map. I've never owned this on any media whatsoever. And I don't know if I will get the 4K. No? I don't know. I haven't watched it in so long. I have no idea if it's going to be any good. Alright, okay. so coming up June 25th from Severn is Blood for Dracula. This is the Andy Warhol produced film with Udo oh. Kier. Okay. Out of print for a while. It was one of the OG Criterion Laserdiscs. And I believe there was a DVD as well. That's a long been out of print. Impossible to get. And uh, now Severin is releasing it in 4K. And there's a third disc, which includes a CD soundtrack. And then Vigor Syndrome, because there's lots of rumors running around. Well, what about what about Flesh for Frankenstein, which was kind of mm-hmm. the companion piece, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when Vinegar Syndrome stepped in and said, all right, we'll put the rumors to bed. We are putting out Flesh for Frankenstein as well, but later this year. Okay. So uh, both of Paul Morrissey's films, Blood for Dracula and Flesh for Frankenstein, are coming back into print in 4K UHD. A whole bunch I of know, special features. I know nothing about these films. I mean, I've heard of them, but I know like next to nothing about them. Yeah, it, it, check them out. They're big kind of cult exploitation-y kind of films, and uh, I haven't seen either of them. Mm-hmm. I've just heard their reputations. So uh, I am keen to check these out. Also coming from Vinegar Syndrome, Matt, uh, you get a special edition slipcover limited to 2,000 copies of Shiva Baby, or as Matt, like an idiot, called it Shiva Baby when we discussed it for our show. Or maybe that was mm. me. That was uh, me. <laughs> Utopia Distribution is in- releasing a regular edition as well, includes director and star commentary and more. Anya Taylor-Joy features in Here Are the Young Men. Dublin teenagers Matthew, nihilistic res, and deranged Kearney leave school to a social vacuum of drinking and drugs, falling into shocking acts of transgression. Shout Factory, Matt. Okay, here's one that if I'm going to watch it, part of me thinks I should be paid in some capacity. So any long-time or short-time listeners of this show probably know that I am a massive fan of one uh, David Bowie. And remember this, Matt. They released a David Bowie movie basically focusing on his coming to America. Well, it's called Stardust. And it's basically, like I said, about his first trip to the States in 71. And everything I've read and seen, it's a disaster. One of the key issues being is that the estate refused to sign off. So there's no Bowie music in this film. Yikes. So anyway, I part of me wants to see it because I am such a fan. But part of me like does not want to subject myself to mm. this uh Pain. Well, I mean, considering how mad Bohemian Rhapsody made this, if, if this is panned, like for your like favorite, probably your favorite artist ever, you're going to get real angry about it. But maybe that's what you need. Maybe you just need some vitriol to build up, you know? That's true. That's a very good idea. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I'm not going to pay for it. Maybe I'll have to wait for like an HBO Max or whatever if it gets released, but I can't imagine seeing myself paying for this thing. Just to watch. I'm sure it will not take long for it to be making the rounds um, on the streaming services. You're probably right. The BBC show The Watch is being released. Are you familiar with this, Matt? It looks like it'd be right up your alley. No, I haven't heard of it, no. 
It's an unlikely group of misfits find the guts to save the world, surprising even themselves in the process. The series pits trolls, werewolves, wizards, and other improbable heroes against an evil plot to resurrect a great dragon. Altered Innocence is releasing Adoration? Adoration? How do I not know how to say that word? Uh, well, now you've, you're making me second-guess myself. I, I think it's Adoration. Works for me. 12-year-old Paul lives an isolated existence with his mom, who works at a private psychiatric hospital in the woods near their house. One day, Paul encounters a young teen named Gloria, a mysterious new patient with whom he quickly becomes infatuated. As a fledgling pair forge a tentative friendship, Gloria convinces Paul to help her escape. But when they embark on the perilous journey together, his devotion is put to the test as Gloria's dangerous unpredictability gradually starts to surface. Includes some deleted scenes in an interview with the director. Vanger Syndrome is releasing Mail Over Murder, the story of Wave Productions. This is the story of the uh, movie production company, I think that was in Jersey, started in 1987. Season two of The Purge is being released on Blu-ray. I haven't watched any of the, any of the TV show at all. I've seen the films. I have yeah. not seen the show. Yeah, me neither. I, I got to tell you, this new film has piqued my curiosity. Okay. If it If it is what I think it is, okay. I may be interested in seeing it. New to Blu-ray, Criterion is releasing Pariah. Alike is a 17-year-old African-American woman who lives with her parents and younger sister in Brooklyn's Fort Greene neighborhood. Alike is quietly but firmly embracing her identity as a lesbian. With the support of her best friend, Laura, she is especially eager to find a girlfriend, wondering how much she can confide in her family. Alike strives to get through adolescence with grace, humor, and we don't know. Now, is it a, oh, now I'm reading it as a like. I wonder if it's a like. It's A-L-I-K-E. A-L-I-K-E. Yeah, it could be. Although that's not fair. That's not fair because that's, you know, that is kind of a word and it's own in English. So I don't know. But you're probably right. It probably is a leak, eh? I'm thinking I'm, the key and peel sketch with Balake is coming in my head right now. Hey, <laughs> Aaron. It features a new 2K digital transfer, a new conversation with the director, D. Reese, and filmmaker and scholar Michelle Parkinson, new cast reunion, a new program in the making of the film, and more. Criterion is also releasing a great little, um, I think it's a noir film, uh, Pickup on South Street. You ever seen that, Matt? I have not, no. So it's a pickpocket unwittingly lifts a message destined for enemy agents and becomes target for a communist spiring. The brand new 4K restoration of that, a new interview with critic Imogene Sarah Smith, and more. Paramount is releasing In Harm's Way, the Otto Preminger film starring John Wayne and Kirk Douglas. Fun City Editions is releasing Walking the Edge, Featuring Nancy Kwan, Robert Forrester, and Joe Spinell, a brand new 4K restoration of that film. Arrow is releasing Major Dundee in a two-disc limited edition Blu-ray set, which includes the 136-minute extended version as well as the 122-minute theatrical cut and a 60-page booklet as well. The uh, theatrical cut and the booklet will be limited edition exclusive, so if you want those, you better pick them up now. Include some deleted and extended scenes as well. The David Bowie-starred film Just a Gigolo is getting a release from Shout. I have not seen this. After World War I, a hero returns to Berlin to find there's no place for him. He has no skills other than what he learned in the army and can only find menial, low-paying jobs. He decides to become a gigolo to lonely, rich women. Includes a making-of featurette, audio commentary, and a 32-page booklet. Again, I haven't seen it. So I gotta, I don't know. Am I that much of a... You know, I'm not a Bowie completist in regards to his cinematic output. Yeah, okay. 
Okay. So everything else I am. <laughs> For yeah. some reason, not his. <laughs> like I don't. Ha- I've never seen Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. I haven't seen uh, Just a Gigolo. I've seen okay. The Manifold of Earth. Obviously, I've seen Labyrinth. The Hunger. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I've seen The Hunger, but you know what? I shouldn't say. Yeah, of course. I just saw it a year ago. Okay, for so, the first time. Yeah, that's surprising. I had one. I had a leg up on you. There you go. Well, I also bought it part of a, a Warner Archive four disc set, which included the, it was The Hunger, the Abel Ferreira Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm-hmm. Wolfen, and one other film I am blanking on at the moment. It's a good set, and it was on sale for like thirty bucks. So I can. Right. Couldn't dodge that one. Warner Archive is releasing Madame Curie. Discotech Media is releasing Memories, which is uh, three short film episodic things uh, from the uh, anime master Katsuro Otomo. Magnetic Rose, Stink Bomb, and Cannon Fodder features brand new English dub tracks for all three. Agfa is releasing The Weather Boys. The new restoration from the original 35 camera negative. Matt, that's not the kind of movie you're thinking it is. It's uh, an older film about a, an immature teenager who marries a younger biker but becomes disenchanted with the realities of working class marriage and her husband's relationship with his best friend. Code Red is releasing the Italian film Delirium featuring the uh, Italian heartthrob of the or 80s and 90s Serena Grandi. And then Universal is releasing The Trial of Lonesome Pine starring Sylvia Sidney, Fred McMurray, and Henry Fonda. What else we got coming out here? Um, nice Girl, Made About Music, and That Certain Age all being released as well, I believe, from Universal. And then Kino is releasing the Mae West collection, Matt, as one set or as separate films individually. I'm No Angel, She's Done Him Wrong, My Little Chickadee with W.C. Fields, Night After Night, Bell of the 90s, Go West Young Man, Every Day's a Holiday, Going to Town, and Klondike Annie. We talked about Willy Wonka, your brand new 4K restoration. And then your straight to DVD pick of the week, Matt. I'm going to go. I've actually heard of this. It's supposed to be pretty funny. Donnie's Bar Mitzvah. Sex, drugs, and dysfunctional family create the perfect storm for Donnie Drucker's Bar Mitzvah. We are catapulted back in time to the year 1998 as we follow a colorful array of characters from the perspective of a hired videographer. Donnie tries to enjoy the evening while juggling his crazy mother, his teenage angst, and his new girlfriend, Handjob Hannah. Meanwhile, Gerald, the MC of the party, is on a mission to stop the notorious party pooper, Valdo, who is attempting to ruin the party. All that, plus scandalous affairs, love triangles, spin the bottle, and a man with ranch dressing for hands. But as tradition, all must be resolved before the big song at the end of the night. Matt, it's framed as a kind of a found footage home movie shot entirely in 4x3. It looks like a home movie basically from the 90s. So uh, what should we be streaming this week? I like how 1998 is being catapulted back into the past. That's because it's, it's so long ago. I saw this thing on 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 uh, on Twitter, maybe it was Reddit, that like if the Wonder Years was released today, the time period would be 2000, would be like 2001. God terrifies! I saw that, that too. Is, I wept crazy. in a ball in the corner of my <laughs> office for like an hour. Yep. All right, so I, if, if I've already recommended this, forgive me. Um, I saw it recently, and I can't remember if I gave it a shout-out on the show, but I'm going to say it again, and I'll remember this time. So available on Shudder is a film called The Dark and the Wicked. It is about a brother and sister who go out to see their parents after their mother's passing, and they're terminally ill father, and they live out in the country, and they have a farm, and it quickly comes to pass that there's something 
supernatural and possibly an evil um, that is kind of stalking the family out in the plains. It's really kind of a slow burn, creepy kind of supernatural horror kind of thing. But I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of creepy fun. So I would recommend checking it out if that's the kind of if that's your bag. <laughs> I just thought of that Austin Power sketch. That, joke. <laughs> that is my bag, baby. There you go. Did you see the trailer today? I think I retweeted it. I think you should leave now. Show season two is uh, mm. coming back soon. Okay. No, I haven't seen that. No. Oh God. It's so funny. If you haven't seen the first season, Matt, I think the episodes are like 15, 20 minutes long and there's like five okay. of them. Okay. Absolutely. Or I think it should be going. See, I'm not even blanking on the damn name of the show now. <laughs> but it is hilarious. Good times. All right. Time to settle in for some sci-fi. Matt, is science fiction your favorite genre? Um, I don't know. I kind of lump like horror, science fiction, and, and fantasy all together. I guess mm-hmm. as far as movies go... I guess I would say yes, because it usually has the highest quality level. Like horror can be a real mixed bag and fantasy even more so. But I think I think science fiction can you have some really all stone cold classics with that kind of stuff. What about novels? I would have to say I would have to say probably horror dark fantasy would be my favorite novel genre. Fair enough. All right. Well, with that segue, I guess, let's spend a few <laughs> minutes talking about uh, our boy Pedro in Prospect. You killed my father. That is technically true. Kevin waits, girl. Shoot or help. Just make a move. Here's what is going to happen. You will lead me to your ship and fly me into connection orbit for the freighter sling back. In exchange for this, I will not kill you. This is a good deal. You killed my father, so I'm being very generous. I suggest you take it because I will kill you otherwise and don't think that I won't. Give me a kit and we can talk. And talk they do. Matt Prospect. Pedro Pascal plays a rapscallion, a bandit, an all-around bad dude. And he encounters C and her father, Damon. So uh, they are, I guess this big space station ship is about to leave the quadrant or whatever the hell they are, right? They're Mm -hmm. ready ready to move on. And they do a last-ditch effort to get down to this, this forest moon to try and harvest these jewels Right, these gems that are inside these living roots type things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, sure, and um, but due to the father's greed, things go horribly awry, and it then eventually comes down to Pedro's bandit and then young C trying to figure out how they're going to survive and get off this planet before the big ship takes off and leaves them behind forever. And I should point out too, they have to wear suits, right? Because the the atmosphere is not conducive to human beings. So anyway, that is the general crux of our discussion. The film came out uh, back in 2018, got a limited theatrical run, and then popped up on Netflix, I think early this year. Had some pretty good reviews, and us being a fan of science fiction and, of course, Pedro Pascal, I thought we would check it out. So Matt, Pedro Pascal, I think, kind of continues to spread his dominant star power across the globe, now across the galaxy, if not near the universe. 
And there are a few things about this film that I really, really appreciated. And I don't know if it's because I'm tired and I have a slight headache, so I'm a little angry. But one of the things I enjoyed about this film is how we're not going to... Listen, when it comes to the future, Matt, we actually start doing this stuff, all right? We're not going to be in a Star Trek utopia. Right. We are going to be in an alien scenario. We are going to be in a prospect scenario with different kind of classes and people kind of struggling to get by, you know, mm-hmm. uh, living in the depths, the bowels of this show. It's like, it's like Snowpiercer, right? That's what it's going to be like in mm-hmm. space. And this film, I think, does a really good job establishing that kind of thing, right? That Star Trek universe, Matt, that's not going to happen. There are too many shitty people on this planet caring all about themselves. And F you, I got mine. That's the attitude that's out there, right? Look at Bezos going into space, man. Right? Right. That son of a bitch could solve world hunger tomorrow. But no, we're going to have to buy a super yacht that has its own sub yacht that is that can you know have a helicopter landing pad. <laughs> anyway. Oh, did you know he also he got he got a tax refund for having dependents without paying any taxes? Oh, did he? Yes, he did. Jeez. About, wow, that's I think, crazy. Like 30, 40 grand or something like that. How have we not burned all this shit to the ground? All right. <laughs> Matt, Prospect. How about I talk about the movie? It's an interesting film. I think focused more, unfortunately, on creating an environment than perhaps telling a truly interesting film with some really fascinating characters. What do you think? Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is... Um... This kind of gave me vibes of like High Life, uh, that film with Robert Pattinson, where mm-hmm. they're kind of like space prisoners kind of thing, sure. where it focuses on the sci-fi aspects of this film, where basically it's just kind of like the skeleton, and they just kind of hang everything kind of off of it, and they make they throw out all these terms, and they never really explain what anything really is or why any of this stuff's important. Why do well, people want we- these? Yeah, and uh, yeah, right, and that's like not necessarily that it's, yeah. it's it's not really necessary. But it does a good job of making you feel like there's a lot more to this world and that this world is actually kind of fleshed out and exists, even though yeah. they really don't explain anything, which is, you know, a clever little tactic. I mean, really, this is a story about a girl who didn't seem to have a great, didn't seem like it was a bad relationship, but didn't have a great relationship with her father. Um, she's suddenly forced to, kind of, with the prospect of, of aha, there's the film, <laughs> the prospect of, of being alone kind of thing. And she meets up with his kind of starts to rely on his killer and kind of show her more of the reality of what's out there. I think a lot of this is kind of like your standard class kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It leaves it pretty ambiguous. You know, you've got, you know, this guy's scummy, but he's, only scummy to a point and there's like you can there's several levels low below that you can go that would make it even worse so i guess it's just kind of one of these things where it's an illustration of you know how we as like you said we as humanity suck (laughs) really the only way star trek is going to work is if you when you can come up with replicators and there's really everybody can have anything that they want at the touch of a button that would completely change society and i think that's what makes star trek star trek but other than that, I mean, if you're forced to kind of scrabble and, and fight and get for what you have, I mean, that's the way everything is going to be. So it's just more of that. Interesting. You know, it's fun, too. It's not lost on me that the through line of this entire episode is families. Mm-hmm. Right. Particularly even perhaps fathers. 
Right. But I mean, Ryan Reynolds' character, there's a whole family subplot in that thing yeah. we don't want to get too deep into. And of course, like you said, Prospect, where Pedro Pascal kind of takes on that fatherly role for this young woman, even though she he's responsible for her dad's death. Right. And then, though he, of course, has a different opinion on that, which I think yeah. is interesting. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to wrap the show up today with our five favorite worst movie dads. I don't know if that works grammatically. Either way, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting things in this film, but I think ultimately it's undone by its... Pacing isn't the word I want to use. Everything just kind of... There's never... I never had a real sense of urgency with anything mm-hmm. that was happening. The right. film kind of just rolls along. And it's more focused on creating this environment than it is, I think, fleshing out our characters or having a truly interesting narrative. Because generally, classically, this is a, a film trope or a, a plot we've seen many times that can be done with you know lots of forward momentum. This film isn't interested in that. It really mm-hmm. isn't. It's more focused on the relationships here. But there's something about it that just never really hooks me. Part of me wonders if it's their choice to have Pedro Pascal's Ezra be this really annoyingly, overly verbose. And I know, I know that oh, I'm being, you know, what <laughs> verbose while you yeah. while you talk about it, like overly <laughs> verbose. I get is, yeah. is way, but it's it's way too much. Yeah. He gets this kind of. This kind of uh, uh, poetic way that he talks. Yeah, by he's like the uh, smarmy southern lawyer is basically like his right. entire character. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that well, honestly wore a bit on me after a while. It's an interesting enough story, and what is, and I think it's fun and a neat idea. Not be even really that invested remotely in in special effects. I mean, eighty percent of the effects in the film, I think, are like just this filter that they have over right. the camera. Right? right, that's that's it. Uh, but I don't know. It's fine. And I think it has some interesting ideas that I think maybe need to be cleaned up a bit, a little tightened up. Maybe pick up the pacing a little bit. Not much. I don't need a John Wick on you know Endor thing. That's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> right. But still, I just I don't know. Maybe to tighten things up a little bit. And for me, I think Pedro really kind of pushes the film a bit, the momentum a little bit, like he always does. And then first time, cinematically at least, Sophie Thatcher, I think, is pretty good in this as well. But overall, it just kind of was like, all right, I get it. It's it's interesting. Okay, fine. (laughs) It's interesting, but not interesting enough. Make it more interesting. Exactly. (laughs) This is a pretty meditative piece. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I think we kind of go back to the thing that we said. I mean, they kind of introduced these kind of sci-fi ideas and these you know like religious cults that live on the planet and mercenaries and all this kind of stuff and they don't really explain any of it and i think you're right in a lot of sense that is good but at the same time maybe they needed a little bit to kind of give you some perspective on why some of these things matter why this is dangerous or anything like that you know, there's a whole thing about how you harvest the gems. If you don't do it in the right order, you could end up losing a body part. And they don't tell you that until like literally the last 10 minutes of the movie, even though they kind of harvest gems throughout this thing. So I don't know. I think there could have been a little bit more exposition, not to make it boring, but I think it would have helped to kind of make it flush it out a little bit more and kind of introduce at least a little bit of stakes, introduce some of those stakes. There is a part early when she's holding the little 
liquid can and she almost spills yeah. it. Goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, you're going to yeah. blow us up. Yes. I think so. You, you can't, you gotta, you can't get the liquid can on the meat. And he said that at the beginning, but like at the very beginning, when they cut open the pod that it's in and they dump all that stuff into it, yeah. that's like neutralizing what's in it. So he can stick his hand in there to get yeah. the actual thing. They don't nice. explain why you're doing, why they're doing that. And that comes back to play later, like why that's important. And they kind gotcha. of call attention to it, you know, like, Oh yeah, by the way, X, Y, Z, why, you know, here's, Hint, wink, wink. Why that's important, kind of thing. So, right. <laughs> Fair enough. So, what did you end up giving Prospect Man? Um, I gave it a B minus. I thought it was a pretty enjoyable B level sci fi film. I thought it was not a whole lot out there in no terms of original sci fi that's relatively new, and I think it's worth a shot if that's the kind of thing you're into. Yeah, I keep going back between C plus and B minus myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I originally had a C plus, so I'll stick to my guns. But ask me tomorrow, I'll, I could give you a B minus. I think yeah. Pedro it does enough to kind of elevate it. Again, I don't know if I started talking like that all the time. I'm sure people can barely <laughs> stand my voice now. I can't begin to imagine. So fair enough. All right, if you had a chance to see Prospect, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. It is currently available on the Netflix streaming service. You may have heard of it. All right, Matt, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what we think are our five favorite movie dads who are just not good. Bad dads, bad parents, just don't do a good job. And the big problem with me is how really, truly horrible some of the fathers are on my list. Like, traditionally evil, not superhero evil. So uh, we'll get into all that next. Showing the Morton house to some folks from California. Don't lie to me, Jerry. What? I called your office today. I didn't get a message. Of course you didn't get a message. They said you stopped working there several days ago. What? The receptionist said that you left. That idiot. That new girl can't be... Susan, I never got anyone fired in my life, but that girl, I don't know. You mean you still work there? Of course. Where else would I be? I don't know. I just, I don't know what I thought. I'm sorry. This is very upsetting. Old man Grace is still there. No, forget it, honey. Forget it. She probably just got the name wrong or something. Hodgkins, what's to get wrong? What did you say? Huh? Wait a minute. Who am I here? Of course, that is the classic scene featuring Terry O'Quinn and the stepfather. I think mm. it's the second week in a row. I know the last few weeks that we've had a stepfather reference. That's so very true. I just uh, I didn't want to put it in my top five because I had just talked about it the other week, but uh, he needed some recognition. Uh, so anyway, if you haven't checked out the stepfather, I'm not sure if it's playing anywhere. Maybe on Prime. Okay. But all of them are actually pretty good. Are I they? think I've seen is there four? I know I've seen at least three, maybe four. I can't remember if there's a fourth one or not. The first one's great. Second one's solid. Third one is entertaining in a kind of straight-to-DVD 90s horror film kind of way. I think right. one of them even was a TV movie. Uh, either way, still pretty good. So didn't quite make the cut, though, Jerry Blake. Maybe next time when you can figure out, who are you here? 
So uh, I'll go first, Matt. I'll give you the uh, ultimate number one this week. Okay. My number five is the, well, it's the dad in, I think, I think I've said many times the best film of this uh, century, if not the uh, 20, the, the, that aughts, that first decade, Matt, of course. Okay. And that is Daniel Plainview, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's character in There Will Be Blood, who adopts the son of his partner, who meets an unfortunate early demise, and basically just treats him like a, a, a prop. He uses him basically to sell himself as a father man, to add some credibility to him to try and, you know, get win people over to help him to help to invest in his ventures. And really, he's just a horrible, horrible person to his son. He has these moments and things where you think maybe he's turned the corner or uh, whatever the case may be. But remember, he abandoned his boy, Matt. I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my child! I've abandoned my boy! And says some really horrible things to him as well, especially by the Mm -hmm. end of that film. So, uh, yeah, Daniel Plainview is my number five. He was on my list for a while. I, I removed him because I needed to make room, and I knew he was going to make it on your list somewhere. Although I'm surprised he's as low as he is, as much as you like that film. I got some horrible people on this list. Don't you worry. <laughs> okay. All right. So my number five is from one of the best action films of the last uh, 20 years. That is a Morton Joe uh, from Fury Road. He basically keeps a harem of women, and he has a, a group of sons... Um, that are various levels of deformed or they are have mutations and he's all about throwing willing to throw them away um in the pursuit of having a perfect child um and of course he's also kind of works as this uh father figure for all of these orphan speed boys or whatever they're called it that he uses uh as basically disposable cannon fodder for his various wars to maintain control of the water um so you know the fact that he runs around with a skull mask on is should be a giveaway um but i just wanted to throw it out there for morton joe i didn't even think of him that's a good pick matt i hadn't even thought about him more i don't i don't think about him in that capacity right at all so that's interesting all right my number four then listen so you have an incident at the school where you're a teacher and you're trying to find yourself, maybe get some time to get away and write a book, write a novel that you've always intended to do. So you take a job as a caretaker in this hotel as it closes up for the winter. And then strange things start to happen. And maybe at some point you've been a little rough with your son, but you're trying to make things better, right? So you're in the hotel, taking care of things, trying to get a go on your novel. And then things kind of happen. Things get a little wacky. And then at some point, maybe you try and massacre your entire family with an axe. Of course, I'm talking about Jack Torrance, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Really, grade A, horrible dad stuff. Uh, Tries to take out his family. Kills, I think, what, really, what, one person, right? He kills one person, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, one too many, really. That's fair. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Here I am kind of rationalizing. He really only kills one person. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, but watching Nicholson's slow descent into madness, that whole film... Man, I mean, just the way Kubrick sh- Kubrick shoots it, its use of music, the uh, alienation that you feel, and then the whole time, it's it's you're just filled with dread from the opening shot of that film. Yeah. It is it's a classic for a reason, as my mother always used to say. Well, should yeah. say should say she's still with us. But um, yeah. So my number four is Jack Torrance. 
All right. So my number four um, is more of your traditional, like, scumbag manipulative dad where he abandoned his children, basically kind of dipped in and out of their lives to kind of create havoc. And then he comes back later in life feigning a a cancer diagnosis because he's been kicked out of his hotel and has nowhere else to go. Um, So, of course, I'm talking about Gene Hackman as Royal Tenenbaum in the Royal Tenenbaums. His three very damaged uh, children kind of damaged in their own way by his actions while they were growing up and his neglect and his uh, emotional abuse where he kind of comes back and starts laying waste to everything else again and he just can't seem to help himself. And even despite the fact that he has his charming moments and he has parts where he seems like he's a lot of fun, he's still like the kind of classic narcissist dad that uh, can only see as far as his own nose um, and really only has uh, love for himself more than his children. That is a great pick. Honorable mention for me. Just not evil Mm. enough. No. But traditionally, yeah, in real-life scenarios, manipulative dads are just horrible people. People you would actually kind of encounter in Mm -hmm. real life. Right. Yeah, he's a a good pick. All right. My number three, then. One of the big problems I have with this huge lauded and loved film is that i never buy the redemption of this character it's not possible you can't redeem yourself by killing one old wizard it does not make up for the massacring of the younglings mm-hmm. the massacring of the jedis across the galaxy right anakin skywalker though somehow gets his redemption moment after being responsible for the deaths of millions of people, if you want to throw an Alderaan? Mm, probably billions. Billion? <laughs> but you know what? He takes out the wizard and says, I love you, son, and everything's okay. <laughs> but still, as horrible dads go, I mean, listen, I may have gotten fights with my dad in my life, but at no point did he cut off my hand. So uh, Anakin Skywalker is my number three, Darth Vader himself. Yeah, that's a good pick. It all fits. It all fits. My number three then is um, is Jack Torrance. He and I think, despite in, including everything that Chris said, by the sheer fact that he did kill Scatman Carruthers, which is kind of like a, a that's a list, you know, problematic behavior. Um, it's also not just the Overlook that's bringing out the worst of him, but it's the worst of him was already there. So like mm-hmm. he's obviously an abusive husband. He's an abusive father. Um, he had an incident at school through his anger, he, and he dislocated Danny's arm, you know, being in a drunken uh, stupor um, in a piece of, in a fit of anger. Um, so he's already broken and he's already like a bad guy, even though he tries not to be with his own demons. So the evil of the hotel just brought out what was already there. So yeah, Jack Torrance is my number three. Good call. My number two then is, I think, the darkest pick I have. I mean, okay. it is, it's one of the first names that popped in my head when I thought of this, to do this list, Matt. And the, and I and I felt like I needed to take a shower after thinking about it. Have you seen Happiness, Todd Solon's film? Uh, I haven't. I only know it by reputation. I've seen it. Okay. And Dylan Baker's Bill Maplewood, I think, outside of maybe my number one, obviously, Mm-hmm. But Bill, his Bill, 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 I can't. I'm even struggling saying the name. Is such a disgusting, vile human being. He right. is a a father. He's got a young son, 
but he's also a pedophile. And he becomes obsessed with his son's best friend. Okay. And then he rapes his son's best friend. And um, horrible, horrible things happen. And then at the end of the film, there's this moment between him and his son that I just, I don't even want to repeat right now. It's just exceptionally disturbing and skin crawling and very horrible. And I don't know if you can see this movie at this point. I think it's completely out of print. Really? Yeah. I don't know if it's available to stream. You may be able to buy it on one of the streaming services, but I don't think there's. A, I don't think you can get your hands on a physical copy, um, of an imprint physical copy of this film at this point. It is some dark, heavy stuff in this movie, and it's a one timer. That's for absolutely sure. So, yeah. but uh, Bill Maplewood, pedophile Bill Maplewood, number two, as one of the worst fathers in cinematic history, and he's number two. Sweet Christ, who's number one? <laughs> so. Yeah, just, I just looked it up yeah. on Just Watch. You you can't stream it anywhere. Um, you can't even rent it to watch. So there you go. I mean, that's it, for nothing else. That's that's a, a point in the favor of physical media because you know, guys, stuff's not going to be around all the time. You know, yep. you got to get your hands on what you can yep. for your Philip Seymour Hoffman pedophile movies. <laughs> well, P.S. <laughs> off, he's not. It's Dylan Baker. Let's not yeah. sully uh, P.S. Hoffman's no. name in that. But yeah, well, it's just a character. I mean, come on. That's true. That's yeah. true. I should say, Dylan Baker <laughs> is not a pedophile. <laughs> that I know of. Right, right. That's I think that's enough uh, qualifications on that one. All right, good. All right, so my number two is, um, well, let's just keep the pedophile train rolling. Um, but this one is not uh, was not so f- much focused on the friends of his son, but on his daughter herself. So I'm talking about uh, Noah Cross uh, from Chinatown. Plays the smarmy incredibly rich man who hires Jack Nicholson's character to find his daughter and that last scene of that film where you know what has happened to to her and she's going she's going right back into his clutches and the system's kind of helping him do that and just the just the terror on her face is just is just heartbreaking and it's he is the grossest smarmiest dude i think um in, on this list, he's 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 uh, he's a vile human being. John Huston's performance as Noah Cross in Chinatown, mm-hmm. my number one pick oh, as the worst it? Okay. father in cinematic yeah. history, is terrifying as it is disturbing. And when when Faye Dunaway has that reveal, you know when the we find out about the child, yeah, is just it's disturbing and sickening. It's a cliche at this point. And it's done right. as a joke a lot of times, right? But in the film itself, you're, it is heartbreaking. And then, like you say, that that ending of that film is heartbreaking. And Houston is so powerful in that film; he really is. He's terrifying. I don't blame myself. See, Mister Gitz, most people never have to face the fact that the right time and the right place they're capable of everything couldn't think of another number one outside of bill maplewood himself but i added cross wins because he's responsible for the death of people so he gets that pushed over the top because of that so yeah chinatown of course infamously based on the california water wars um back in uh good lord what was that the late 30s right 37 yeah i think so yeah late 30s but yeah cross easily number one 
All right. Well, my number one, I is I guess the layup puck. It's gonna be Darth Vader. If for no other reason, as as Chris said, um, you're so mad that your daughter at your da- daughter's adopted parents that you just blow up the whole damn planet and kill like seven billion people. Um, so that's that's pretty extreme. And as Chris said, I mean, he does cut down some, you know, some five year olds pretty brutally. Personally. By Personally, his yeah. own physical hand. Right. At least with Alderaan, yeah. you could see it was Cushing's character that made the yeah. call, and he just stood by. Right, true. But the uh, rest of it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he went and slaughtered uh, an entire sand person, including all of the all of the all of their kids too. It was sure, like yeah. a little mm-hmm. foreshadowing to his kid murdering prowess, I suppose. <laughs> and and that's one of my biggest complaints about that movie. Not to just digress, but like he goes from being just absolutely devastated from killing Sam Jackson's character that he can't even believe what he's done to like literally the next shot. He is killing five-year-olds. <laughs> so yeah. I don't, it's, it's a quick turn. It's a quick turn, George. Maybe one of have let that breathe a little bit more. Yeah, it's well, you know, once you take that turn, I guess at that point you're like, all right, I'm all in. What the hell? Right, well, I killed Sam Jackson. So let's go find some kids. That's right. It's cool. Purple lifesaver. Yeah. Good times. All right. Any honorable mentions? Yeah, so Ego, the Living Planet, who oh, you know, obviously from from Guardians of the Galaxy, Bill from Kill Bill, um, mm-hmm. who you know obviously killed his baby mama, Daniel Hillard from Mrs. Doubtfire, because that's not cute; it's creepy. Um, pretending to be a woman to infiltrate your ex wife's house and to be, spend time with your your kids, Lester Burnham from American Beauty, which is a film that has just not aged well mm-hmm. at all. Uh, for many different reasons. And then I'm going to throw out as the other thing that immediately came to mind after Darth Vader was Pete McAllister from Home Alone. He's halfway in on leaving Kevin home alone more than once. And he doesn't even try to get back like his mom, like like his wife does. Those are all good picks. Um, two that Matt didn't mention that are honorable mentions from me. Michael Corleone. I'm sorry. He's a, he's a yeah. crap dad. Yeah, he is a crap dad. And then finally, uh, Rodney Dangerfield's character, Ed Wilson in Natural Born Killers. Oh, Okay. All right, man. Natural Born Killers made me feel gross the first time I watched it. I watched it probably way too young. I was like a young teenager when that came yeah. out. Man, that movie fucked me up. Like I could not stand that movie. Messed me up. I, I yeah, that's a rough movie. <laughs> Same here. That's why I've never watched it again. Yeah, but yeah, me uh, neither. Never watched it in one sitting. I've caught like little bits and pieces here and there. Man, that movie. Good one. Yeah, there you go. All right, folks. Who are your favorite bad movie dads? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Next week on The Big Show, uh, Matt and I are going to be discussing the 38th film in the Fast and Furious franchise. Right. I don't even know what this is. Is this just F9? Which is, yeah. What's this one known as? Sure. Yeah, Function 9. The <laughs> I love the conceit of the film where the whole move, the whole series – is how you don't let family behind. You don't leave. You don't let family down, right? Yeah. And it's all about that he left his brother behind. I right. It's just <laughs> okay, but um, it does have. John but that's Cena. why you don't do it. That's why you maybe don't that's do it. that was the life lesson. That's what turned yeah. the corner for him. Yeah. But um, Cena's in it, who we like, and then I got to admit, I think when we went back to the theaters, I saw that trailer where he uses he catches the rope from the bridge thing right. on the tire to swing yeah. around the mountain. Yeah. I laughed out loud every single time I saw it. So maybe yeah. it's going to be wonderful. I have absolutely no idea. No idea. I, 
you know, they were on one of the kind of cable channels, FX, IFC, AMC, something like that. I was flipping through looking for something to watch and they were running like all of those back to back. And man, I, I caught the majority of, of Fast and Furious 7. Oh, man. I, it, it only gets worse from there, folks, man. <laughs> these things are ridiculous. I can't believe how popular these things are. There you go. So we're doing that and we're going to try and get in, if we can, Werewolves Within. Which, mm. everything I've read, Matt, is the greatest video game movie of all time, which oh. is not a very heavy bar. Not a, hard, not a high bar to cross. That's no. true. So we'll see how that goes. All that and more next week on The First Run. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for The First Run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to thefirstrun.com as well. And then go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review and help other people find the show. And then we'll read that bad bear on air. Don't forget my side project with the Lady Juan of Screen Run. This week, Matt, we just put out Tusk. And coming up next is Yoga Hosers. So we're really at the end of that run. Season two plans are in motion. And we'll be getting you on that one. I'm very excited. Very good. And uh, that's going to be it. So, Matt, why don't we go ahead and take an extended break. Everybody take care of yourselves. Get vaccinated if you haven't yet. And we'll see you all soon. Take care. Good day, sir!